For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, this is Kong San with Believe in SCSU Basketball here on the Believe Podcast Network. The only place with the show for every team in San Diego and more. We're recording this on a Sunday night. We're going to take a look back at the week that the men's and women's team had, both ending their regular season with the women starting off in the first round of the Mountain West Conference Tournament. So, without further ado, here we go. We're going to start off with the women's team. They ended the season very strong with two wins against Colorado State and Nevada. They ended up getting the fifth seed, which was the highest that they've gotten in the tournament since 2014. And definitely things were looking up. Or I'm sorry, the sixth seed. Um, things were looking up, matched up against Utah State, which was a lin- the 11th seed for the tournament. And in the first quarter, uh, to say that it started rough, unfortunately, would be an understatement. They missed their first eight shots. And the only thing that was keeping them in the game were free throws and their perimeter defense. Going, Looking back, if it just felt like the first quarter, we were really, really lucky to have it tied at the end of the first quarter. It just felt like Utah State was able to uh, find their way to timely buckets here and there. Despite our good defense, you know, eventually they were able to run counters against our perimeter defense. But on the other side, it just felt like we, I mean, layups, runners, jumpers. And what tends to happen with college basketball when a team is kind of struggling to make their shots one of two things one either a player will just bulldoze their way to the rim like they're playing football try to draw fouls and get to the free throw line or two they'll start settling for long distance threes or contested jumpers you didn't necessarily get that per se there were possessions where it certainly felt like that but at the same time, the refs were calling those fouls and were able to knock down the free throws. So it felt good, but it didn't feel forced, if that makes sense. So the first quarter was good. I felt good about it going into the, the second quarter, just thinking, okay, just it's a game of runs. San Diego State will make their run. These girls will um, make a couple buckets and it'll be fine. But their second quarter was their worst quarter of the game. Um, their defense was just awful. I mean, they were slow to rotate, didn't box out, a lot of staring at the ball as it's coming off the rim. Kind of slow to rotate. If, if Utah State, what they started doing was when the initial motion is set or initial play is called and they swing the ball to the, oftentimes it was the right side and they sw- swung it back over, the weak side big would set a flare screen or just a pick to the furthest um, wing player kind of freeing them up against the three. And typically, if you're playing defense and the ball's all the way on the other side of the court, you're not necessarily worried about this screen. You're just kind of 
typically putting a hand on their stomach or uh, their hip and just sort of being ready to rotate over if the ball swings over um, because you want to be able to protect the rim first. But when the ball would swing, they were just sort of looking until it just felt like they, their player had to get the ball first before they moved. It wasn't being really proactive. It felt like a reactive quarter. And uh, they ended the half just making six baskets. They were down double digits. And this is where I started to get a little concerned, but not completely. I mean, there was an entire second half to play. It felt like we were down by 15 to 18 points easily. So I was just counting my lucky stars again, being only down nine and a half. And beginning in the third quarter, got a little a little dicey. I think we were down as much as 15, but we were resilient and just kept fighting. Um, Sofia Ramos had a tough, tough shooting night, but she kind of seemed to make plays when it ha- when it mattered, whether it's defensively or offensively. Um, Dorn Stoddard made an impact with timely rebounds and kind of able to help set the tone. Um, Tia Adams has a unique ability to get to the rim and sort of go under all the contested arms. Um, she's not much of a high jumper, but she can jump kind of far and has a, a good way to kind of navigate through the, through the rim without losing the ball or turning the ball over. Um, they just kind of started making their push. I mean, there were a couple times in the third quarter where I felt like this is kind of getting out of hand. Uh, we're going to have to see, you know, string together a few runs and, and they were able to do that. And the fourth quarter is sort of things is where things got interesting. Um, again, there were a couple of moments in the game that just sort of felt like, oh, this is over. Like Utah State is going to upset and our season's over. But it sort of felt like one of those WWE matches where the wrestler kind of taps out or is able to get out a couple of two counts and the other wrestlers wondering like, what do I have to do to put this per- person away? Does a few more finishers, maybe hits him with a chair, uh, puts him through a table a couple of times. Um, and nevertheless, they, they still rise. It's, it's just felt like the assets rose from the dead a couple of times and we were able to fight all the way to tie the game up with a Tia Adams layup with about 5.6 seconds left. Overtime was a similar, like a mirror of the fourth quarter, except at that point, it just felt like we were out of gas. We got down, came back, got down, came back, tied it up, and it felt like we are possibly going into a second overtime. Um, but with two seconds left, Utah State gets the ball, gives the ball to Haley Bassett, the, their best player of the game by far, and made a nice, calm um, jumper from the free throw line extended to put the game away. 2.6 seconds left, no timeouts. Um, Sophia just had a juggle and just heaved the ball from about half court and didn't go in. So unfortunately, you know, that. For the ladies, their their season ends tonight. Um, it just felt like they had to overcome so much just to get to the point of potentially winning 
I don't think they led for a single second in this game. And it must be a real tough pill to swallow. But on the flip side, their resiliency today was incredible. You know, it definitely was not their best shooting night by far. They were making these runs and kind of gave up a lot of timely baskets. And for whatever reason, uh, Dorn Sutter and other bigs that get guarded Haley Bassett just res- didn't respect the jumper at all. And she was able to calmly knock down three for three from three point land and hit the game winner. And it just sort of, they never closed up the airspace. I kind of felt like they were giving up too much airspace there. Kind of got her going. And there were other things in the game. Like, okay, I get it. You're strong to the cup, right hand, left hand. You can finish either way. That's great. Um, but it felt like one too many times, whether it's T. Adams or Sophia or Taylor, it just felt like when they were going to drive right, they were going to just continue to go right, even though the defenders playing heavy to that side. And they, they instead of going to the cup, now if, if you're, they're trying to play to your right and you're driving right, you're just going further and further away from the basket. And as you get closer to the basket, it just becomes a short mid-range corner jumper, which is one of the harder shots in basketball to make. And they were trying to throw runners, trying to draw the foul, trying to bank it in. And a lot of times it was just real tough. Um, I kind of feel like the, the next step, the next level for this team to go is try and develop counters and trying to develop a more um, encompassing offensive game. They didn't seem to have a lot of uh, free-flowing offense. It just sort of resulted in a lot of pick and rolls at the last um, 10 seconds of the shot clock. The transition was sort of tough to watch. So hopefully these girls can learn from the season and kind of develop their game a little bit more. And they definitely show a lot of promise. It's just, can they cohesively work together to create easy baskets for each other and not have to settle on a couple of playmakers here and there and their quick score offense with eight seconds left on the shot clock to, to try and get a bucket. So um, overall, it's it's a tough tough way to go out but a solid season filled with lots of highlights. Uh, Sophia being an all-conference, I believe, all-conference selection. Uh, Taylor being a nominee. Um, both led the conference in uh, minutes played, respectively. I mean, it was a dynamic backcourt led by those two with you know, a strong group of uh, women around that kind of filled the different roles as needed. Mm, but, you know, unfortunately, that's the last of we're going to talk about the women's team for a while until next season. Um, but the season's not completely over. Basketball or ASIC basketball is not completely over uh, because the men ended the week strong as well with two straight wins i shouldn't say strong as well ended the regular season also with two straight wins there we go that's better Um, it wasn't a great shooting night against colorado state but they won at the free throw line malachi and um 
Shaq will hit a couple of key threes to help seal the deal. And if Colorado State kind of felt more like uh, Matt Mitchell was that guy who set the tone and sort of carried uh, the majority of the the load, um, I want to say the game against Nevada was primarily Yanni and Malachi. And for Yanni, you know, the box score and the stats may not say everything, but his post presence definitely forced Nevada to always have to worry about the dive to the basket and having a body in the paint. And what happened was that definitely opened up passing lanes around the perimeter and it made it a lot easier to have skip passes because on the flip side, Nevada didn't really have that guy, that post player who can get a quick turnaround hook or dive to the basket with a vengeance and be savvy enough around the rim to finish strong. And what that allowed the Aztecs to do is switch everything. Uh, Yanni was great enough to, to stay in front of their guy, but Nevada couldn't take advantage when KJ or Malachi switched on their big. And they were able to find a way to get the ball, you know, swung to the other side. And as the ball was moving, their defense was on point to the, where Yanni would drop back down and whoever was guarding the big would then drop and rotate across. So, that presence, despite what the numbers may tell you, Yanni's presence really made a big difference, especially when you add in a guy like Malachi, who, if he's not on an NBA team next year, even just on the bench, I, I don't know. I like, just have the scouts call me. I'll, I'll tell you. But Malachi's playmaking off the dribble, pick and roll against uh, Nevada with Yanni kind of took it to another level uh, that game. Um, what they w- did was sort of start the pick and roll a little higher, like a little bit above the, the three-point line. And I think this is sort of Rockets-ish, or at least early Rockets, um, back when they weren't shooting as many threes. But they would set the pick, and Yanni would roll, and Malachi would get to switch against the big. Sometimes he would sort of drag the pick out over to the other side of the court and try to take him one-on-one and continue to play. And as the game progressed, he started going a little bit more downhill and attacking the big. Sometimes he would hit him with an in-and-out, a hesitation, a cross, and really kept the defender guessing. And it eventually got to a point where he was able to get by so many times that they started playing the drive a little more. So now he was able to pull up from the free throw line, floaters, free throw line extended, and make it look so, so, so easy. He ended the game with a career high, 36 points, and pretty much had an answer anytime Nevada went on a run. Um, one move that I thought was really nice, I think it was in the second half, and if I'm not mistaken, he was going left to right, Yanni, or I think it was Arope, set the pick, and he was going downhill, and he hit him with the in-and-out move, and the defender bit hard. And it went from a big man being in front of the basket to a wide-open layup. That's how bad their big bit on this in-and-out move. And I think from there, it just sort of put him in no man's end. You know, when you're playing defense and you're switched, somebody's coming at you, 
you instinctively know they're going to make a move, whether it's straight to the rim or try to get around you. And oftentimes, if you do nothing, you're in trouble. So you might as well try to go for one or the other. And I don't think that the going biting on the in and out was the problem for Nevada. I think doing nothing thereafter about it was the problem. They weren't doubling. They weren't um, rotating. They just kind of stuck to the shooters in the corners and tried to rely on the big and uh, presumably the guard trailing from behind Malachi to make the play and it just wasn't able to do that. The announcers were noticing uh, one, again, going back to it, that Malachi was playing with quite some NBA skill if uh, to borrow a term, I guess they, they said in the game. And he got to a point where he was in such a groove that he started developing going to spots. Instead of just running the play, he would dribble from the middle, um, kind of to the left, give the ball back to Yanni, who would then give the ball back for another pick and roll. And he would attack at different angles where he would find himself to the free throw line extended a lot and he'd just pull up. And that was cash money. You have the defender trailing behind you who can't block you or else that's a foul. You have the big man who got beat one to four too many times at the rim. And he just pulled up with enough space everywhere. Not to mention the big has to worry about Yanni rolling to the rim for a potential offensive rebound and a putback. So you put all that together and that leads to 36 points. Also, Matt Mitchell was in foul trouble for most of the game. So that kind of also, I guess, led to uh, Malachi taking the game over. But I was really impressed with Trey Pulliam. Came in, played great. And off the bench, you know, statistically, he might not have had a great game, but he played solid defense. He didn't make mistakes. And you just felt his presence on the court because there were other times, whether it was Shackle drawing fouls or uh, Matt just kind of getting called for foul after foul. When Trey was in the game, and I believe the lineup would be um, Trey, um, KJ, Malachi, Yanni, and it was either Shackle or um, shit. Can't remember. Fuck. This is somebody else. <laughs> Player number five. Um, that it, it just felt like a cohesive defense. When he was getting the ball, he knew Malachi was hot and he wouldn't try to do anything other than try to put Malachi in positions to thrive. So, Real good game from Trey Pulliam. Um, I was also impressed with a rope. And as a team, they only gave up four rebounds or four offensive rebounds. So that's a strong, strong game, especially given their game against UNLV. It just seemed like they couldn't get the rebound when they needed. Um, so this was really, a really impressive way to end the season. And I don't know what happened to Jalen Harris. He started off the game hot. I think he had 17 in the first half, but in the second half, whether it was the Aztec defense, whether it was the refs, whatever it was, he just looked out of it. He was passing up the ball. He wasn't creating his shots. He just sort of went from a star to being just a role player. Um, he just seemed out of sorts, kind of frustrated with everything, with the way the game was going. And the, even the announcers kind of caught along or caught on with that and just sort of called out on his 
wondering where Jalen Harris was as the Aztecs were making a run. And it got to a point where, you know, he was able to find his footing. But by then, uh, Malachi was already uh, putting in his work. So it was a little bit of too little, too late. Um, the intensity of the game was incredible. It just really felt like the team wanted to just go out there and play ball and show the country that, you know, we're a mid-major. Everyone's talking about our, our uh, lack of strength of schedule, how this one-loss team is um, not a true top-five team. And you wanted, they wanted to go out there and show them what they could do. You know, Aztec teams in the past typically put their hat uh, or relied on their defense and rebounding. But this team, they got the offense to back it up too. So if you want to go for a shootout, they can shoot from distance. If you want to grind it out, play tough, they can do that too. And, and it's got me really excited, not just for the conference tournament, but also for March Madness. Um, it was really important, I think, to end the season with a big statement victory and just two wins during the week because other top 10 teams suffered losses. Duke is reeling. I mean, they were supposed to be this projected two seed, possibly in the East. And if San Diego State and Duke were in the in the same bracket, you were looking at potential upset there down the road. And people were talking about how Duke would make it to the Final Four if that was the case. And they lost both games that week. Baylor lost on Saturday. Um, the team right below us, Florida State, lost on Saturday. Maryland and Creighton, who are 9-10, and 10, also lost. So to me, what this means is, at the very least, it helps solidify that SDSU should be no lower than a two-seed in the tournament, which still would be the highest, I believe, in school history. Um, the team to watch out for right now, and team that's streaking, is Dayton who has won 20-something games straight, and Obi Toppin is a human highlight factory. So with all that being said, um, I don't know if we're going to move up in the AP Top 25, maybe one spot with Baylor losing, but we're going right into the conference tournament while these teams are finishing up their regular season. So there's still a lot that can happen between now and next week. Um, if they win the conference tournament, I would imagine that's a strong case for a one seed. Hopefully something that's not the East bracket. Um, so we'll see. Um, you know, unfortunately, while one season ends, another season continues. And now the entire focus is shifting on the men's basketball team and the conference tournament. So hopefully... By next week, we'll have some great news that these episodes can continue going into March Madness and we can try to um, potentially witness some school history. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. We're available wherever podcasts can be found. You can find us on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact us at Believe.com. Again, my name is Kongsan. I'm at N-A-S-G-N-A-K on Instagram. And until next time, go Aztecs. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.